Are you excited for that day? I dreamed of a city called glory. It was so bright and yet so As I entered its gates, I cried holy, and all the angels, they all met me there, and they carried me down to see every mansion. And all the sights these eyes saw. But I said, please, I want to see Jesus. Cause he's the one who died for all. I bowed on my knees and cried holy. I cried holy. Holy. Holy, holy. 
decides to start coming on a Sunday morning they've never even heard of having Sunday night service so that means then they go from I think I'll go to church to I think I'll go to church all the time <laughs> and that's not always easy but we are seeing a growing number sister French was telling me she's uh, doing our second round on the uh, foundations class were they pretty well full that, that what I understood how many you say a dozen or 12 15 we, we made 15 packets this morning I think they used them all so that means there's a brand new round of people that are going through and wanting to understand well I really like this church I like the way they worship I feel good here but I don't understand a lot of what's going on I don't know why can't I chew tobacco or whatever and they're trying to figure that out and so they're going through it really takes something folks to get people to say I like it enough that I want to learn about it. Praise God. You know, it's one thing for someone to pray through an emotional moment and really sincerely get through to God, but to make a commitment of a lifetime, that's what it's going to take. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, so tonight, get your Bibles. We're in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. And uh, I know I'm standing in the way of the chicken salad sandwiches and those uh, barbecue uh, meatballs and chapter 19 and verse 1 and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and, and finding certain disciples that's verse 1 verse 2 he said unto them have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe and they said unto him we, we've not so much as heard whether there be any holy ghost they wouldn't say amen. amen and he said unto them oh it doesn't matter <laughs> he said unto them excuse me let's get back to the scripture here unto what then were you baptized and they said unto John's baptism now folks that's not a negative that's not a negative it wasn't enough but it's not a negative then said Paul John starting right out with what they understood Verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on Jesus Christ. And so they knew this. Everyone say amen. amen. Now listen to me. I want you to understand it. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. You, we can all be wrong. We, we, we can choose to be wrong. 
These disciples understood John that they were to believe on Jesus Christ that came after him. They believed in that. On Jesus Christ that comes after him. All right. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Want us to lay our Bibles down. We're in a series in the book of Acts, and tonight this is one of a series. Tonight this message is entitled, and uh, I expect to get some flack for it, The Miracle of the truth. I want us to pray right now. Come on, let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you right now for the glory of God we feel. Ask God that you'll touch every heart. Let your will be done. Lord, this is not just another service. This is, we are in the presence of God. And your touch is here. Lord, there's something powerful happening. The holidays are upon us. And we are here in the presence of a living and wonderful and mighty God. And we give you praise for it. And everyone said amen. 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 And God bless you. Please be seated. You look... I know you need to be seated, so please take your seat. Now, we're looking here at a series in the miracles in the book of Acts, and tonight our message is entitled, The Miracle of the Truth. Now, I've wrestled with this backwards and forwards for several months, whether or not I would do this, and I feel to do it. I'm going to, uh, in the, if the Lord tarries in the years to come, I'm, I'm framing and shaping I feel like God directed me to get more involved in the book of Acts than I've ever done before. And that is why this year the Lord has been directing me to preach. I'd never preached uh, from the book of Acts in this way. But now we've come to Acts chapter 19 where we have the difference between partial truth or no truth at all. It'd be really God. It's okay to help me preach tonight. Everybody say amen. It's okay to help me preach, but I'm going to preach this tonight. I believe it is critical to understand in a day like we live, there are many people around us who have partial truth. They really do love God. They do care. They are not atheists. They're not without God in any way or form. They may not be in truth, but it's not that they have no truth. They're all around us, everywhere. Everywhere you look, I meet them all the time. And one of the things I think we fear is when someone just has a little bit of truth that they're going to think that's all that they need. So then we just start punching them right in the face. We do it because we're afraid that they just have a little bit of truth that they're going to get complacent. or they're, And many people do. I know that. So please don't misunderstand me. One of the greatest, and I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm convinced tonight that God wants to direct our attention to the power of the truth. Anybody believe the truth has power? It has power. And when you preach something that's not true, then you are preaching an untruth, and that is dangerous. For example, I have friends that believe in God, love God. They are theologians. They know Greek better than I do, and they're very intelligent. They're nice people, but they actually preach that speaking in tongues is of the devil. And if they don't say it's of the devil, they think it's some sort of bunch of nonsense or something. Uh, they, they think that they're being nice to me when they say, well, I don't think it's of the devil, Talmadge. I just think that it's just a bunch of nonsense. Oh, so that just makes me feel so much better. 
So they think that by saying that, they're, they're being nice and saying, well, I don't think you have a devil. I just think you're really stupid. And so uh, they think that kind of calms things down a little bit. But the fact of the matter is when someone has partial truth, there are problems with it. But the only time that that becomes a true problem is when they refuse to receive the truth. And there's only one thing worse than somebody refusing to receive the truth and that somebody refusing to preach the truth. Set home, do nothing, and not try to reach your world. And yet those people think they're going straight to the uh, pearly gates and the fellow sitting at home thinks he's going straight to the pearly gates without obeying the truth. They think what they have is truth enough. And so it is. Now, I do know that God works with people. We're reading about it right here. So the Bible says when they heard the truth, they responded. Can you say praise the Lord? I feel like I'm preaching prophecy here tonight. I believe there are many people all around us. The devil says, oh, they're never going to accept the truth. They're never going to get baptized. They're never going to worship. They're never going to clap their hands. They're going to go to dead, boring church. They're happy with that and so on. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. There's an entire community all around us that are hungry for God. Want God. They had the rudimentary understanding of truth. That is to say they had some of the basics. They listened to John. They obeyed it. How many things they should have listened to John and obeyed John? That was very weak, but that's why I'm preaching this. <laughs> oh, I feel a little feisty. It must be. Uh, uh, so um, the fact of the matter was there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Okay, so don't fuss with me. Don't get me going. God sent John. There was nothing wrong with the message of John. The problem was not going far enough. That's what they needed. Now, I get attacked all the time. I get these fellows out here that know Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and Aramaic, and they want to punch me in the face and say, you have no right to tell me what I must do. I said, of course I have no right to tell you what to do. But God can tell you what to do. Hallelujah. They don't like that. Oh, you're telling me you, you got something, you and God got something going? You mean you know more about God than I do? What makes you think you're better than me? These are all little tricks the devil used to keep people knotted up right where they are. The fact of the matter is they believed in John and God had something more. Everyone, let's clap our hands and thank God for it right now. The miracle and the power of the truth. Praise God. So right in the devil's territory, in the city of Ephesus, everyone say Ephesus. Now, how many are going to say with me? Come on, you got you to gotta fight it. You got to, uh, 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 <laughs> I don't know what you got to do, but you got to do something. You got to fight it. You got to say, I'm going to stay. I'm going to, oh, come on, pinch yourself. Kind of pinch yourself right here. And, and you got to try to stay awake here. All right? I don't mean awake, but you know what I mean, alert. Surely you're not going to, you know, sleep. I, I don't mean that. All right, so Ephesus was the jumping off point for Greece. When you find, there's Jerusalem way over there. And by the time you get all the way around the coast of Asia Minor, you come up to Ephesus, you are practically sailing on into Greece. And at least the eastern uh, coast of Greece. And Ephesus became a great center of mythology, and they longed to be a religious city. Ephesus became one of the great cities of the ancient world. Uh, many, many stories, interesting things about Ephesus. Uh, of course, the Bible's full of uh, stories of Ephesus. And how many knows 
that there is a book in the Bible called Ephesians. Anybody know that? Yes, there is. You might want to write that down if you don't know that. There's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. There was a mighty and powerful church that was in Ephesus. The jumping off place to the most uh, idolatrous place in all the universe. I read recently that if you sail from Ephesus over and got up to into Athens, I was trying to think where I read this, that there were so many idols in the city of, I, I preached last week because we were talking about, not last week, but last time, we talked a little bit about this. So maybe, I'm, maybe my mind's going back, uh, I don't want to repeat anything, but Athens was so filled with idols that it, they, the main streets of the great city of Athens, which wasn't the biggest city, of course, but it was a major city, it was so religious, there were so many gods that they were worshiping, that you could not walk down the main uh, boulevard. Of course, that's French. I'm sure they didn't call it boulevard. But the main uh, road in Athens had so many idols. And they were so religious and superstitious about these idols. And they believed in them that you could not walk a straight line down the streets or the sidewalks of the main cities of Athens because they were placed in strategic. You had to move over here, move over there. There'd be carts. I mean, it was just literally filled. In fact, the book that I was reading said that the only thing comparable to it would be a modern-day Hindu city where there would be so many, and you know the Hindus worship literally billions of gods or millions or whatever the number. I don't know if they count them, but there's lots of them. And so it was that the apostle Paul comes to Ephesus with the truth in the midst of all of these mythological ideas. Now, here was the number one myth. And John, I mean, uh, Acts chapter 19 says one of the myths. Now, this is not a, a myth that was only mentioned in the Bible. But in verse 35 of our chapter tonight, which is the basis of our miracle, the miracle of the truth, is that they believed, okay, I'm going to suggest something. You can, you can like it or just say, well, that sounds really dumb. Whatever, you know, just however you feel. But they believed that, and I'm not going to go to verse 35. I'm not going to sit and read every verse. But they were convinced that the image of Diana, of the Ephesians, or, of course, that the, the Greek name, that's Roman name, but the Greek name was Artemis, but it doesn't make any difference, that the worship of, the only thing more popular than the worship of Diana was the worship of Zeus himself. The, what we might call the, the, the main god or whatever the term would be. In other words, he was the, uh, you might worship all these little gods, but the Zeus was always, no, you didn't want to get the anger of Zeus. But the second to Zeus himself was Diana, queen or goddess of the Ephesians. And the mythology says that the, the, the image of Diana literally fell from Jupiter, from heaven, right to the earth. Now, most people think, and I tend to think it makes sense. I don't know that. I have no way of knowing this. But, of course, did that mean that the huge statue of, of uh, 
Diana fell from heaven and they thought it just landed plop right there. No, that's not what they meant. What actually happened was, according to some historians, is that they saw a meteor fall into Ephesus. It was a great harbor city. And the, the meteor, when it fell, they collected it, they found it, and they considered that a spiritual event. And they took that meteor, and there's some evidence of this in other things and so on. But my point is they were extremely religious people. They thought that a meteor falling from heaven was a sign of a God that was sending them the stone from which they would build one of the greatest statues in the history of the world. Did you know that long before there was a Statue of Liberty, there was a woman carved from stone, not this meteor. The meteor wouldn't have been that big. This, they claim that the statue of Diana that was in the harbor of Ephesus was as large or larger than the Statue of Liberty. And many people wonder how they could ever have done it. For example, uh, the... the uh, like they wonder how they built the pyramids. Am I just talking to myself? Does anyone know that people wonder how they ever built the pyramids? They're not sure. So I've even read things where people say, that must have been built by uh, people from another planet or something. And I'm like, hello, there are no people on other planets. But that's what they're theorizing. Because it's so amazing. And so they say that the statue of Ephesus, uh, in Ephesus of Diana was so magnificent that the world spoke of it. And her temple was so magnificent that it was unbelievable. In fact, the temple to Diana was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I tell you, Paul didn't stop for a minute. He walked into that place and began to preach the unadulterated power of God. Hallelujah. Amen. How much the world has changed. Diana's temple was massive. It was a wonder. Even Alexander, of course, who died in his early 30s, but he, was, he had conquered the world. Of course, uh, Alexander is one of the amazing figures of history. Alexander the Great, of course, is who I'm referring to. He wanted to visit Ephesus in I think it was around the third rebuilding, the building that Paul saw when he walked into Ephesus this particular day, that is the building they were working on, uh, of course, 300 years before, but it had been standing now, oh, yay, all these years. And Alexander himself was moved by the religious wonder of Ephesus. Now, folks, why am I saying this? If Paul refused to bow to the false notions of religion in the city of Ephesus and preach the gospel regardless, then why shouldn't we preach the gospel exactly as God has given it to us? Now, someone said to me, and I'm, I know this and I don't want to get too far. I want to stay with my message. But someone said, Did, does it really matter? You know, they were really, I don't, they weren't being smart, eloquently. They were just really, now, Reverend, does it really matter? This was no dumbbell. This was no just average little person. It was just, I like somebody who knew nothing. About, I mean, this person knew the Bible inside out. And they wanted me to say that it didn't matter how they were baptized. And I said, well, why does it matter? And they said, well, that's not fair. That's why I ask you that. No, 
No, you asked me. <laughs> See, I'm trying to get you awake, but I can't get you awake. So they said to me, does it really matter? And I said, well, why does it matter? What does it matter what I think about it? What does it matter? Why, why does it matter to you that it be something different? I'm going to tell you what matters to me is what thus saith the word of the Lord. I may not understand any bit about it, but, but I'm at least going to preach what it says. If it says it, I'm going to preach it. Hallelujah. I'm going to love God. Someone said, I don't believe in all that business of waters parting and people walking through on dry land. I said, well, you don't have to believe it. But I choose to believe that. I choose to believe it because the Bible says it. Hallelujah. Praise God. So along with this religious wonder that was going on, Paul walks right into the middle of it and he starts preaching. What, how were you baptized? So this is, I say that because this fellow that asked me this, I said, well, why does Paul do it? You think he's, you think he's just a nobody or maybe, oh, no, Paul. No, Paul's a great, great guy. I said, well, that's good. Uh, well, Paul walked right in there and started saying, uh, how were you baptized? I mean, if it didn't matter how you'd baptize, why would he even talk about it? Why did he just say uh, something else? Uh, whatever. Why, why, what do you think he should have started with? He started with, how were you baptized? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So why can't I do it? When I walk into a city and they need God, I'm not going to start with Jesus doesn't care. All he wants is he's just a poor little thing. I'm going to start with how were you baptized? Hallelujah. There's a name that's above every name. Hallelujah. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And, of course, that opens up all kinds of doors uh, which, have, uh, which are important, but they're not the point of my message tonight. And so along with all this religious wonder, Paul walks right into the middle of it. The Bible tells us that they had built an amphitheater that was, uh, the Bible only calls it a theater, the King James does. But we, we've seen it. I mean, if you've been there, you've seen it. It's massive. And I became inquisitive some time back, and I was trying to figure out just how many seats there were and how big was it. I mean, how big was this thing? And uh, the, the city of Ephesus was really trying to show the world that they were uh, cutting edge and, boy, they were serving Diana with, I mean, they were the, the cutting edge of religion. And, and so as they dug it up, I forget when they first began to dig up the amphitheater to excavate it and do the, uh, what's it called when... Uh, Oh, my goodness. Archaeology. When they were going in to do the archaeological digs and they first started uh, uh, trying to prove, because the Bible said there was a theater there. They're trying to prove it, and then they found it, and then they dug it up, and then they had to, you know, how they do it, one little teaspoon at a time. Take this little teaspoon and then dump that over there and walk it out and so on. Be careful. Don't step. You might be stepping on somebody or whatever. And, and when they first found the first seat and then the second seat, they found out that there were 66 rows. 66 rows. And they kept digging down. They found then that there were three floors to this theater. Well, what theater are you talking about? I'm talking about the theater that Paul was 
they almost drug him into the theater. And so uh, I, I thought, well, I might have to add up, add up how many seats, how many seats would you have? And were they benches? You know, like these are pews. But what if they were actual chairs? How many people would you get in here? And so on. Someone, a preacher told me recently they, they took all the pews out and they put in uh, seats. And, you know, like these fold up uh, Real nice, just like this, but they felt folded up, and they had armrests on both sides, and you could put your drink, you know, your soda. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, it was, uh, you know, all these seats, and, and they said, no, we used to only get so many hundreds. Now we can get, like, 200 more people in there. Some of you don't care about this, but I'm going to preach anyway. And so uh, I, I got to thinking, I wonder how many they could see, and then I ran across the fellow that did the dig and did, wrote the book, and that, that just spoiled everything. Because they, they already knew exactly how many seats there were. In a city, Athens only had 10,000 people. This arena alone could seat over 25,000 people. And they built it to boast of the great Diana. And the Bible says that the preaching of the gospel by the apostle Paul and the truth that he preached was so powerful that the silversmiths that made the gods of Diana, they were very distinct, and I won't go into that. I'm not interested in describing it, but it was a, obviously a woman goddess, and they would take them, and they, and they were everywhere. They say they were literally spread around the world. People would go to Ephesus and buy these little gods and take them home. And I want to tell you something about you taking little gods and putting them in your home. You need to get rid of them. You need to get rid of everything. That is unlike our God. Paul said, I am not intimidated by it. This is the world Paul entered with the truth. He rebaptized and prayed them through 12 men. And 12 men turned Ephesus upside down. Hell was about to dare to try to stop the move of God. But the truth of God cannot be stopped. Can we just clap our hands and thank God? Now, church, we need not take a backseat to anybody. I don't mean it arrogantly. If you think I'm arrogant and I'm saying that, I, I hate it. I don't want anyone to think I'm arrogant. I'm not saying it out of arrogance. The book of Acts Church was empowered by the Spirit and saw miraculous wonders. Has anybody noticed that we've got sick folks among us that need miracles and God has promised miracles on our behalf? I believe God wants to show us miracles that will astound our neighbors. In the book of Acts just recently, we've talked about Saul, the great persecutor, was blinded by light from heaven to become the unprecedented Apostle Paul. Does anybody believe there might be an Apostle Paul out here somewhere? The devil wants you to think nobody wants the truth, but I tell you there's an Apostle there. God's got an Apostle somewhere. He's trying to draw them to himself. We saw that Peter was uh, walked right out of the prison by an angel, and it was so powerful that he thought... And he was no dumbbell. He thought it was a vision. He walked right out of the prison because it was so miraculous and so powerful. I got news for the devil tonight. 
I may be but a man, flesh and blood, and, and my breath is just as fragile as any human that ever was, but I serve a God that is bigger than any demon in hell. I serve a mighty God. Hallelujah. The apostle Peter realized it was real. It was almost too good to be true. And before the, the ink was dry from that miracle, God shut the mouth of Elamus the sorcerer. And I want to talk to this tonight. And I, I know I, I don't want to preach all night, but I might have to. Um, I'm telling you tonight that the devil wants to put fear in your heart and make you think that he's going to do something or put some little spell on you. I want to tell you there's no power in hell that has authority over the child of God. Elamus' mouth was shut. He thought he went out with the new kid on the block, Paul, who had recently become a Christian. Of course, he was the great persecutor, as we just mentioned. But when God's in it, the devils tremble. And Paul put Elamus on and hell on notice. We are shutting you down, devil, because we've got a job to do. We've been called by the Holy Ghost. Anybody believe God's given us power? <laughs> After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Paul and Barnabas demonstrated the price of real apostolic preaching. Now, folks, listen to me. I don't want to get emotional. I'm trying to not get emotional. God didn't call me to be a preacher to drive a pretty car. He didn't call me to be a preacher to wear the finest suits. He called me to be a preacher to preach the gospel and to tell my neighbors and to love God with all of my heart. We are in danger as a movement when we love money more than we love the truth. Every generation has had to evaluate what really meant the most to them. And we're going through a time as a movement where we have to be certain when a young man says, I can't go start that church, I wouldn't, I'd be like a pauper. I want to start a church, but I want to go somewhere, man, where I could, man, I want to take over, man, I want to have. It's pitiful. Listen, if God calls you, you better obey. Anybody ever heard of Jonah? This one guy, young guy, I said, I'm going to start calling you Brother Jonah. What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, just think about it. Paul and Barnabas had the power of God so in their lives that they healed a paralyzed man who had never, ever walked, just like Jesus did. Anybody believe we can have power just like Jesus had? He said, greater things than these shall you do. That's not an arrogant statement. 
to say that Jesus said the church can do more than he did, which is my, I mean, I realize it's mind-boggling, but the apostle Paul prayed for a man who had never walked, and he jumped up and started walking, and these pagans said they're gods, and they started building an altar going to worship him. Then, because Paul refused to be worshipped, they stoned him to death. That was the price of preaching the gospel. I don't know. I don't know if I can even preach this. Sometimes the price seems too great. It's too much of a price to pay. But how many know there is no price too high to give yourself for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, folks, I want to tell you something. If you think this world's getting better, you need to rethink it. The world is not getting better. This world is on its way to a destination that is not the destination of the church. The church is getting ready to leave this world. I'm getting ready to leave this world. They stoned Paul to death and left him for dead, but God had other plans. Praise God. His lifeless body laying there all of a sudden, and they started, Sounds like I'm making fun of him. I'm just not a very good whaler. Listen, if they do that, and I'm laying there, wail any way you want to. I'm not trying to make fun of it. And then all of a sudden, there he is dead. Oh, they killed our preacher. He's gone. He's gone. Boop, he sits up. Brushes himself off. It was as though they never touched him. Now, I'm, I preached a whole sermon and said that I believe that Paul's body was absolutely indescribable. I wouldn't even begin to try to describe what a bunch of stones did to a young, frail man. And, and they pummeled him, and there was no breath, and they left him for dead. And the Bible said they drug him out of the city. Boop, gets up. Oh, oh. Oh, where's my tie? Where's, where's, where's my pocket square? Uh, uh, anybody see my glasses? Where are my glasses? You're holding them. Oh, oh, thank you. Okay. What, what's next? Well, Paul, you were just killed. Oh, yeah, I was. That's right, I was. Let's go. Hallelujah. Folks, that's exciting to me. I may not be much, but I know one thing. We're a part of a church that's a mighty church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't sound to me like they were compromising at every little tea party. Sounds to me like they were holding pretty strong. God had plans because we are not of this world. Paul refused to go along with their idol worship, even if it meant his own life. You don't think I haven't thought about saying that. Someone said, that sounds like, oh, what are you inviting? Danger? Are you danger, danger? Or what are you doing? No, I'm not inviting danger. I'm telling you that the book of Acts church had power that was almost indescribable. It, is all, it, it inspires me when I think, someone said, oh, we're the book of Acts church. And, okay, well then why can't you sit through a whole Bible study if you're a book of Acts church? Oh, well, you know, I've had, I've had the Holy Ghost for a hundred years. Bless God. Okay, you had it a hundred years, but do you have it right now? What's going on in you right now? 
and I'm really talking to me. Hey, folks, you need a preacher that's on fire. You need a preacher that loves the truth. We need to pass on to the next generation of preachers that we love it with all of our heart and our minds. The next thing you know, Paul, like Peter, before him is thrown into prison with Silas at Philippi, but God had a midnight miracle in store. That's the kind of God that we're talking about. So there may be a great statue out there in the harbor, and there may be a temple. The temple that Alexander came to see was so massive that Antipater, if you know who he is, if you don't, it doesn't matter much. Antipater said, I have seen the hanging gardens in Babylon. I have seen, and he named every one of the seven wonders of, of which, of course, no man living today has ever seen any one of them. That's why they're called the wonders of the ancient world. And by the way, oh, I wish I could preach longer. Uh, Ephesus was a wonder, but guess what? All of that would go into the dust. But the truth continued to live on. Antipater said, I have seen the hanging gardens in Babylon. And he named each of the... I couldn't even name all the seven wonders. That's why I keep repeating the first one. Uh, but anyway, this bunch of them, you know, seven... I was trying to think of the second one, but my brain's not going to work. And I, all I can think of is those uh, barbecue, uh, what are they called? Meatballs. Uh, thank God someone can help me at least remember what they are. But he said, when I stepped off the ship at Ephesus Harbor, and I saw those unbelievable columns of the temple of Artemis, I fell on my face. I had seen the greatest wonder in the world, he said, known as the Great Destroyer. All built to a goddess that had been worshipped for a thousand years. And Paul said, no, she's not God. He didn't say, give me a few minutes and let me be real sweet. I want to say this nicely. He said, she's not God. I'm serving the living God. And people started getting the Holy Ghost. The Bible said they ran in there with those statues and they brought their curious arts, which is the Greek word for magical. They brought all their magic and, and they built a big fire and there were so many converted that they began to scream out and they ran to the amphitheater by the thousands. They said, these guys have come that are turning the world upside down. I want to tell you something, my friend. God wants to turn some things upside down. That's the God that we are serving. 
And that's the God that Paul preached. He preached the truth. People got the Holy Ghost. They didn't, that didn't mean that, okay, now we're going to have easy street. I'm going to wear the best of the best. No, Paul wasn't worried about all of that. And so because of their faithfulness, the Bible says that the devil came after them. The very first thing after the outpouring on the 12, everyone say 12, were the seven, I'm almost done, were the seven sons. Anybody ever heard this in my preaching Bible? No? No, it's really Bible. <laughs> it's really Bible. There were seven sons of, I'm going to pronounce it the English way, the seven sons of Siva. The devils were stirred up and, and they thought they would, there's some evil spirits and we're living in a day when it's hard to convince people that anything is evil. Did you know there's a revival right now of Nazism? People who just laugh at the Holocaust and because you know why? That's the spirit that's in our age, the spirit of Antichrist. And those evil spirits were, uh, the, these sons of Siva thought, well, man, it worked for, for the apostles. We're, we're going to come and cast out these demons or these spirits. And, and they said that they had come in the name of Jesus. And the spirits cried out. I'm talking to the apostolic tabernacle tonight. Are we afraid of the spirits? Are we afraid of the spirits? Can we discern the spirits? Do we know the difference between a mental illness and a demon? God's not pleased with us. And those evil spirits begin to cry out. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. Am I preaching Bible? But who are you? I want to preach that sermon so bad. And the Lord said, you, you know we're near ready to preach that. Who are you? My goodness. You're in trouble, folks, when the devil's no more than you know. What God wants the church to do is not be afraid, not be afraid of the cost, not be afraid of the price, not be afraid of the purpose. The truth is a powerful thing, and we must preach it. We must love truth more than anything else in this world. Praise God. Let's clap our hands one more time. So the devils turned on the sons of Siva. And then this, this, read it. The Bible says the entire city of Ephesus, which was massive. I'm not going to venture. I'm not absolutely sure how large Ephesus was. I meant to get a verification, but it was a large city. I just uh, just leave it at that. And the Bible says that all of Ephesus was stirred up because they heard of the power of the Apostle Paul. 
and that the sons of Siva, the Bible says that the, the, those demons just got a hold of them and just ripped them to shreds. It doesn't say it in those words. Uh, ripped to shreds is an old term that I picked up around uh, back in Arkansas. Do you ever use that? They were ripped to shreds. You never say that? Well, that's good. Um, well, we used to say that. My mom said they were ripped to shreds, and I say we, they were ripped to shreds. But uh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that it tore them, and, and it wounded them, and it chased them out of the building, and they went a-running. I want to tell you, my friend, the church should never be on the run. The church should be standing, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. With revival comes opposition. They burned their magic and they turned to God. And those who profited from evil were not happy about it. And it stirred up everyone. The truth will stir our world. And the first thing Demetrius, who was the leader of the, he was the big silversmith that was, let's say he owned half of Ephesus. The first thing he said was, they're going to tear down our temple. He, well, he didn't say that exactly. <laughs> that's, that's me interpreting it. But what he actually said, we know from scripture, is the temple is in danger. That's almost word for word from the King James. Folks, I want to tell you something. Now that was prophetically true, but Paul had no intentions of tearing down their temple. He meant it as a, a lie and a distortion to bring anger, and it did. The Bible said they ran into the amphitheater, uh, packed it out, and the people were everywhere. And the Bible says, and here I am, I'm going to wrap it up. The Bible says that Paul, so I'm not going to look at another one, I'm just going to tell you. So Paul, the Bible said, was, well, I got to say it in my own words. Okay, I can't just say everything in King James. All right, so the Bible says he was just chomping at the bits. You ever say that? Okay. Chomping just, oh, man, man, I want to get in there. And he was going to run into the amphitheater. And they sent a note. There were many, many, many leaders of Asia Minor that had come to God and they said, Paul, please, we're begging you, don't go in there. They'll rip you apart. They're going to kill you. All they want is for you to run out there and they're going to kill you. And the Bible says that Paul, well, in my words, Paul never shows up. His two assistants, the Bible says that Alexander raised his hand like this. As though to say, I'm ready, let me speak. And, and the Bible says that the head official, who I happen to believe, now this is just a guess, I happen to believe this man was a believer. <laughs> I don't know how else he would have done what he did, but he was a leader of the city. And, he, and many in the city had come to God. Let me tell you, folks, God wants to give us a revival that may shake our world, but it's going to save the souls of men and women all around us. Does anybody have a loved one that needs God tonight? Anybody know somebody that needs the Holy Ghost? Would you stand? Come on. Let's stand together. I want us to do this. I've, I've almost preached too long. I want you to come with me. Come on. Come on. I know, you're, I know you're hungry. I know you got cards and gifts, but I want you to come. I want us to stand in the front tonight, and I want us to ask God to clean everything out of our life that's not like him and to make us a testimony in these last days to the power of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. Father, I don't want to be in the way of revival. I want to be a part of revival. Father, I don't want to be 
uh, upsetting and shaken by the world, I want to shake the world that's around me and let the faith of God touch my neighbors. Can we lift our hands together? Come on, one more time. Let's praise him a little bit. Father, right now, I pray that money and things and jobs and, and uh, trinkets and education and politics and all the things the world offers, I pray that they won't mean more to us, Lord, than your touch in our lives. I pray, oh God, that the truth will mean more to us. Lord, 25,000 in an amphitheater and Paul never walks in. But for 12 souls that had a little bit of truth, he was right there. He was telling them all about it. How were you baptized? Hallelujah. That's what we've got to do. We've got to have a burden for whosoever will. Father, we thank you for it. Could you lift that other hand? Come on, let's just give him a little bit of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we ask you tonight to save our loved ones. Give us revival. Turn our hearts. Lord, we have people right now. In the presence. Father, we're praying for somebody. The truth is the only hope for them. We could raise the dead and that might not even affect them, but the truth will change their lives. Lord, we want to see the dead raised and people healed. We want to see all kinds of things, but it's going to take us receiving the miracle of truth as much as any other miracle. Lord, I pray that we'll preach to the twelve, we'll preach to the thousands, that we'll do it with a humble heart and an open heart, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, and we magnify your name. Now, somebody, okay, now listen, I, I hope, I think you can hear me all right. I want you, you have someone you're praying for, we're not going to take just another moment, I, I know we're going to have to move right along here, but you, you have someone that is, you love. You're not responsible that they're not saved, but you're burdened about it. And I want you to just pray a simple prayer of faith for them right now. Can we do that? Can we just, can we just forget about everything else? Forget about the meatballs? Let's just pray a prayer for somebody that you love right now. Heavenly Father, I feel the Holy Ghost stirring us. God, I pray that we can be in league with the Spirit in such a way that you will guide our, our steps, that you will anoint our preaching and our lives and, and our minds so that we can think spiritually. And I pray right now for that loved one. Hallelujah! I thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Hallelujah! Somebody has faith. Somebody's faith is being released tonight. Praise God. Lord, Ephesus is going to crumble. But the kingdom will live forever. Thy kingdom. Thy will be done, O God. We thank you for it. Praise God. All right, let's, let's reach out. Take someone by the hand. Let's just pray for somebody right now. And we're going to be dismissed. But before we do, I want you to pray for somebody. Come on, close your eyes and just pray for whoever you're with there and ask God to meet the need right now. Father, I pray for everybody here tonight. So many needs. So many needs. 
I want a couple God ladies. Hold on just a moment. I want some of you ladies step right up here. Sister Morris here right here. We got several Sister Morrises. But Sister Morris, I want them to put, lay hands on her. Brother Ralph is very, very sick. Has been for days, and it's worsening. And we need a miracle. We need a donor. We've already mentioned all that. But I want the ladies to pray for her. We need to minister to her. Come on, step up around her. Come on, gather around. Hallelujah. I want some of you men to pray with Brother and Sister French. Brother French, go lay hands on them. They're going to be directing the exalt service. Let's pray for them that God will help them and bless them and keep them. Come on, reach your hand toward these right now. If you have somebody near you there and you want to pray with them, that's all right. Just going to take another moment. Father, I pray for Sister Morris, minister. I pray that Ralph will have a mighty miracle. God, I believe you're the God that wants to do miracles in our midst. You want to help us. You're, you're talking to us. You're, 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 you're dealing with our hearts. and You're showing us the roads we need to walk and the things we need to do and things we need to say. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. The Praise God. I want us to bow our heads. Uh, I feel like God's answering prayer. Brother Bishop, if I come back there, would you pray for this? You don't have to get up. Here's another, here's another prayer request. I want you to put the coals on the very top of your prayer list this week. Anybody going to do that? Put them on the very top and just pray for them. Let's just push back. Tell the devil, you better leave our bishop alone. I want bishop to pray over this food and not just because I keep talking about it, but I want you to pray for the food and our fellowship. Praise God. Praise God. Bishop, here you go. God, your word still says, for God so loved the world. God, there's not a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in this auditorium tonight that is not important to you. Every last one of them are important to you. Their miracles are already here. And other miracles that are waiting to happen. Glory to God. God, right now, stir our hearts. Oh, Lord, help us to rely on you and to trust you. Amen. Help us to say from the bottom of our heart, devil, you are a liar. Take your hands off of this people. Oh, God, this is your people, the people of God, the people of the name. God, I told you tonight to touch hearts and touch lives and touch our pastors. He leads us tonight. You know, the food that we're having to partake of, bless it, touch it, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you, Bishop. If you could join us, we're going to go right across.